Thank you. It's good to be with you. Um, thanks for the invitation to, to be along. We're going to read from Mark chapter 11 and the, the first um, 11 verses there. Um, Mark chapter 11, reading of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Mark 11 and verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it. And will send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found the colt tied at a door outside the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy garments that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray for your help this morning. Lord, as we have turned our focus on you, that you are worthy of our praise and you're worthy of all the honor and the glory. Lord, we pray as we, we read these words together, as we consider them, Lord, you would... Stir our hearts afresh to worship, to magnify, to glorify you as our Lord, our God, our King. Lord, we pray you would do that work in each of our lives. We pray for help to be given. The Holy Spirit be at work both in, in, in speaker and listener alike. And Lord, we pray that we would leave this place just rejoicing that we know the Lord Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of our lives. We pray for help. In Jesus' name, amen. As you read through Mark's gospel, you get increasingly this, this picture of, of who Jesus is. You see his humility, and you see his glory. You see him as, as Christ and as, as Messiah, as the one who is the Son of God. You see his compassion, you see his mercy. You see his grace, you see his love, um, and also alongside that you see his intolerance of sin, both rebellious sin and religious sin. And you get that this picture of Jesus begin to form, and now as he makes his way into Jerusalem, you're going to get a glimpse, just a glimpse, of him as king. For he's, he's making his way, ultimately, to the horrendous death on the cross. This is, is Passover time, 
And so at the beginning of Passover, everybody is flocking into the city of Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem is three times what it would normally be at this time. There's people from all over have arrived. The Roman soldiers, they are on heightened alert. The, the Jewish zealots are being watched. Others are being watched as well. And yet, at this time, what you discover is that people are not talking about the zealots, nor the Romans. In fact, they're not even talking about Passover so much. Because what you discover here is, as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, that the city is beginning to talk about Jesus himself. Matthew 21, verse 10, says that the whole city is being stirred at this time. They're asking, who is this Christ? Who is this person? There's this beginning awareness of Jesus. Up to this point, Jesus has not done this. He hasn't really gone publicly in this way before, but now he does. And I think there's two reasons for that. I think reason number one is that well, many of, of the Galileans are in Jerusalem, and they've seen his miracles. They've, they've seen him healing. And he wants to say to them, I am the Christ. This is who I am. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. Because in a week's time, he's going to be on the cross, and he's going to die for them and for, for all of us. But I think the second reason for this is also he knows... That this is going to be a catalyst for the, the anger of the, the Jerusalem Jews that would lead to his arrest, to his crucifixion, which is God's plan. This is God's way. This is what God would have him do. This is how his father would have him go. And all of this is coming together, leading up to the cross. This is God's plan. As we look at this passage together this morning, my prayer for, for you, my, my prayer for myself, is that you would catch just another glimpse of Jesus. That, that you would see Jesus in a fresh light even. That perhaps for, for some, maybe you've been coming to, to church for some time and you're yet not saved. That you would for the first time see Jesus as the saviour that you need. And for you, if you, if you know Christ as saviour and lord of your life, that you would catch a, a glimpse of him again that would lead to a zeal and worship and delight in the Lord Jesus Christ, that your heart would be stirred. Because at this time, it said everyone in Jerusalem is beginning to talk about Jesus. My prayer for you is that you'd leave this place this morning and you would be talking about Jesus, delighting your heart in Jesus. There are three things that I want just to, to leave with this. I sort of take, take a, a broad sweep of this passage that you would leave here saying that you've seen Jesus, to see Jesus, to savor Jesus, and then to serve Jesus. To see, savor, and serve. Firstly, let's, let's see Jesus, see the servant king. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and he's proclaiming something. He's proclaiming that he's a servant. And he is a king. He comes with great power. Everything that leads up to that, that ride into Jerusalem is actually emphasized very, very subtly, very, very quietly. Emphasized that, that same thing. He says to disciples to, to go and, and get a colt. And even in doing that, you see something of the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, how, how did he, he know where the colt was? I mean, how, how did he, he know the owners would actually lend him the colt for, for a while? How did he know all, all this would happen? Well, we're not actually told any, any details. I mean, certainly there was no time for him to go and prepare this beforehand. And yet, in one sense, those questions are, are kind of void when you, you consider who Jesus is in Mark's gospel. When you, when you see that he is the Son of God, when you see that he is the Messiah, when you see that he is able to, to, to speak and to calm a storm, when you see he's able to feed 5,000 people at one time, when you see he's able to do miracles and to heal people, when you see all of this, this, this is small by comparison, and yet very, very subtly, very quietly, it points to the authority and the power and the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It shouldn't surprise us that the, the, the owners of, of the, the, the donkey, the colt, were prepared to, to lend him to Jesus. After all, when you consider that everything, everything in this world belongs to him. All that we have on this earth is lent to us just for slightly less than 100 years or so. Everything that we have, your, your house, your car, your land, your finances, all lent just for a short period of time. All of it is from God. All of it belongs to God. All is given. All is for, for Christ and for his, his glory. All. And so as he rides in on this animal, you have this, this statement of, of power and authority. And yet gentleness that comes with it. You see the servant king. He's in control. He does this in accordance to Zephaniah 9 and verse 9. It declares that he will do this. He is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And so he says by these quiet actions, this is who he is. And those quiet actions, those preparations, they lead to an amazing celebration. For the people, they call him Messiah. And they call him king, verse 11. Hosanna, save us, is the cry of the people to their king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He is the promised one. He is God's chosen king, verse 10. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They're saying, Jesus, you are king just like David was king. You're about to bring in a new kingdom. Hosanna in the highest is the cry. Save us for our God is the declaration that they bring. These people, they are rejoicing. They look at Jesus and they see him and they rejoice. And yet in their heads they're still asking the question, who is this person? Who is this Jesus? They're quoting from Psalm 118. They're shouting truth, but not fully understanding truth. They're proclaiming this declaration, and yet for, for most of them there, they, they have still got a political view in their mind of Jesus. They're thinking, Jesus, you're, you're going to overthrow the Romans. You're going to lead us into some kind of victory. And so they, they speak truth without understanding truth, and yet as they, they do that, this declaration is something that should stir our hearts, because we know the truth. We, we know the word of God. We know what Christ ultimately was, was about to do a week after this and go to the cross and die for the forgiveness of, of our sin. Jesus was not political. He, his ride was actually 
going to lead to his capture, to his arrest, to him being put on the cross, to him dying in our place, to a crown being forced on his head that was a crown of thorns, to a robe being put on him that was used to mock him, to a scepter put in his hand that was going to be used to beat him. Here, as, as we look on, we see just a glimpse of who Jesus is, a glimpse of his glory, a glimpse of his splendor, but there's a greater victory to come, the victory of the cross, a victory over sin, over death, over Satan. Jesus is going to release many, many of Satan's captives through his death and his resurrection, men and women who trust in him for salvation. You get a glimpse of Jesus, the servant king, as he makes his way to the cross. He is king. He declares himself as king. But first must be the humiliation and the death of the cross. I said a moment ago that for the people in Jerusalem at this time, they spoke truth but didn't quite understand it totally. And maybe that's where some of you here are this morning. You know truth. You, you know Jesus is the Son of God. You, you know the Word of God. You, you perhaps have been brought up through the church. Or, and you know something of who Jesus is, but you do not know him personally in your life. My prayer for you this morning is that for the first time that you would catch a glimpse of Jesus as King and a Savior. You recognize that you're a sinner, that you've got nothing but a punishment ahead of you without him. And you would turn to him for salvation, repenting and turning to Jesus Christ for salvation. And for the first time in your life that you would declare your need of him as Savior and Lord. And in turning to him that you would be saved. Your life transformed for all of eternity. That you would apply the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel to your life. You believe and you would be saved. You would see who Jesus truly is. Jesus the servant king. Secondly, as you do that, you would then savor his glory. See, on this day, you catch a glimpse of the servant king's glory. Just a glimpse, however. I mean, Jesus has led his full splendor and his glory aside in heaven to come into this earth, to, to live that, that perfect life. And yet, on this day, you get just that little glimpse of, of the praise that is, is rightly due to him. This, this worship, this praise, this glimpse that, that you have of, of true worship in this passage is worship that is both planned and spontaneous. It is planned in the sense that the, Jesus has, has planned all of this. He's authored all of this. This is God's plan. And yet, his disciples, as they're told to do it, they carry that out. And so there's a plan and a purpose behind this. So this is planned worship, in one sense. And yet as he walks, or as he gets on the, on the, the, the colt, and the, the, the cloth and the clothes are put over the, the colt, as he moves into 
Jerusalem, there's a spontaneous nature to this worship. The crowds spontaneously begin to, to, to shout. They, they put branches on, on the ground. They, they put their, their clothes and, the, and their cloaks on the ground. And they, they shout praise and they proclaim, Jesus is King, Messiah, Lord. He is Savior. This planned spontaneous worship. It's also emotional and respectful worship. I mean, the, the crowd's holding nothing back here. I mean, there's none of the, the sort of Northern Ireland reserve going on here. They're, they're, they're just expressing how they feel in that moment. They, 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 they shout, that they sing. They proclaim Jesus as king at the top of their voices. It doesn't matter if the Jews in Jerusalem hear it. It doesn't matter if the Roman soldiers hear it. It doesn't matter, for they, they want to express the, the, their feelings, their heart at this point. Some of the commentators actually suggest that those who express this planned, spontaneous, emotional, yet respectful worship are mainly Galileans. Now, we can't say that for sure. We don't know exactly who's all here. But some of the commentators suggest that that's who's doing this. People who have traveled down to Jerusalem for the Passover... People who, who actually had witnessed something of Jesus' miracles, who had seen Jesus, who knew who, who Jesus was, that they're the ones who are, are declaring him as king. And that if you fast forward one week later, that the crowd who shouted, crucify Jesus, were actually mainly made out up of Jerusalem Jews. And so that, that potentially there were two different crowds here. And we don't know that for sure. I mean, that, I guess there's an element of speculation in that. But I suppose what, what I'm suggesting to you is that this, this crowd, this day, this Palm Sunday, that they perhaps are not as fickle as we sometimes make them out to be. That many of them, as they, they, they worship and as they declare... Hosanna to the King of Kings. That, that Hosanna, that this is this is a Savior. This is this is God, as they declare this from Psalm 118. That they go on to continue to worship. They go on to continue to praise. That they, they go on to, to to glorify Jesus Christ as their God and their Savior. So we don't know it for sure. But again, the challenge is, what about you and me? I mean, do we, we savor the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? That, that continuation of, of our worship and that moment that we trusted Christ as Savior and we, we declared that we were sinners and we, we needed salvation, will we keep on seeking after him, savoring him, rejoicing in him, delighting in him, worshiping him? You know, we get a taste of, of his glory. We get a, a little glimpse of his grandeur. Now, this entry into Jerusalem, Jesus writing on this cult, if you were to take a, a comparison, it's, it's actually kind of tame compared to what the people in Jerusalem would normally see if, if a great commander rode into Jerusalem. Let me read a, a, a quote um, of, a, of a Roman soldier entering into Jerusalem. It said that they entered it in with, with trophies of war and captives parading with them. To have this kind of parade, they needed to have killed at least 5,000 of the enemy. Then they rode in a gold chariot 
with priests burning incense, people shouting out his name. The parade then would end in the arena with the prisoners fighting for their lives against each other or against wild beasts. All of this big spectacular entertainment, the, the whole city would have stopped and to look. This, this is spectacular. Now, by comparison, Jesus' ride into Jerusalem is tame. And yet, the reason it's tame is because we're just getting a glimpse here, just a glimpse of who Jesus is. The full revelation of his power is still to come. He rides in in a humble donkey by himself. His conquest is not political, not military, but it's spiritual. He's moving towards the cross to the greatest battle and the greatest victory that ever has taken place in the history of this world. A victory that will be won by Jesus for his enemies, i.e. you and me, sinners. Victory won for us, to rescue us, not to destroy us. To take us from death to life. And Jesus would be glorified in that. You know, there, there is, is glory. There is absolute glory for Jesus in the salvation of one sinner. One soul transformed. And so as you, you see Jesus the servant king. As you get a glimpse of his glory here, and you begin to savor something of him. Let me thirdly take you on to say that we therefore have a response to make. We we serve Jesus always, or to put it another way, worship him eternally. You know, this planned, spontaneous, emotional, respectful worship that we, we have here. It is taking Jesus towards the cross where he he dies and he rises again. He then ascends into heaven. As I I, I described, Jesus' ride here as tame compared to the Roman commander's spectacular ride. Let let me take you up on another level again. Let me me read again of of Jesus riding a, a, a white horse this time. Because if, if there's no comparison between Jesus' ride in Jerusalem compared to a Roman um, commander's ride into, into Jerusalem, well, it's nothing compared to what, what we see next in, in Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven are red and fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe. And on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. What we have here is the ultimate triumphal entry. What we have here is a picture of, of, of Jesus Christ, the one who is Savior and Lord, who rules over all, who's absolute power, absolute authority, the one who will judge all men and women. 
We have here this picture of of all who believe and reign with him will be enjoying his glory, his supreme power, his glory. We have this, this, this loving Savior who saves, also seen as this ultimate judge who judges all who reject him. Now, we, we read here that he will see through the hypocrisy, he will see the sinner life with his flaming eyes. He is king over every nation, every people. He is righteous. He makes war on those who ultimately reject him. He strikes the people down who reject him with the word of his mouth, with a sharp and a powerful sword. Written on him, on his thigh, is the name King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is Jesus. And as we get a glimpse of this in Mark 11... We begin to get the full picture of who he is as you read um, through Revelation and into to Revelation 19. You, you, to get a picture of, of Jesus and t- today, today, by faith, as you look, as you see, through the words of Scripture, you, you see him and as you see him, my prayer is that you would be saved and know him. As you see him, a little bit more clearly, as you look closer, that you would savor him with all of your heart. And as you do that, you would recognize that you will serve him for all of eternity. You will worship, you will praise him with all of your heart. And what that means for us this morning is really quite simple. Firstly, we need to be saved. And as we're saved, then we pray, Lord, continue to do that work in my life that I would worship with a passion that a planned, spontaneous worship would be part of my life. Planned in the sense that you take time to, to, to pray, you take time to read the Word of God, you take time to fellowship with other believers. The only way to be spontaneous in your worship is to have those planned times of worship that, that lead to spontaneous worship. The most spontaneous worshippers that they are are those who take time to place the, the, the planning of, 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 of their, their week and their, their, their months so that it focuses around getting to know Christ more. Put those plans in place. And when you do so, from that, not only will you have planned worship, but you will also have spontaneous worship. Your heart will delight as you spend more and more time getting to know Christ, getting that glimpse of Jesus in his word. A planned, spontaneous worship. Alongside that emotional, respectful worship. As you you study the word of God, you get to know him. There's a respect for him. There's an honor uh, towards him that grows and grows in your life. But that honor, that knowing him, that knowing the truth of who he is, should lead to emotional worship. It should lead to a, a loving response to one who loved you first. It should lead to your heart being stirred. We worship God using scripture to praise him respectfully. And at the same time, we worship him emotionally. Our affections, our heart, our mind stirred by who he is. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the greatness of who Jesus is must astound you. His love, his grace must amaze you. His power must excite you. His glory, it should terrify you. His work on the cross should thrill your your heart right down to its being because he's died to save you and you don't deserve anything from him. The person of Christ. 
should leave you in awe before him, in worship. He is worthy. He is worthy of your praise. I love the story that um, Richard Wormbrandt talks about and shares about of a, many, many years ago of a, a Russian commander that, that he met during the time of communism there. Um, at that time, when it came to faith, the chances are they were going to be thrown in prison. They were going to lose their family. They are going to be potentially killed for trusting Christ. He tells of this, 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 this commander, this Russian captain that he met. And this, this captain had, had never read the Bible. He never heard of Jesus. But he loved God. Even though he didn't know who God was. He, this is love of God. And um, Wormbrandt talks about how he began to share something of, of, of Jesus with this man. And he said, I began to tell him of, of the, the gospel. And I, I shared with him the, the Sermon on the Mount and the, the parables and the miracles of Jesus and who Jesus was. And says, that this man, as he heard for the first time, he got up off his seat and he, he jumped and he danced around the room that they were in. And he declared, says, this is incredible. So this Jesus, he is Savior. He, he is God. This is so incredible. And then Richard Rumban says, I made a huge mistake. Like thinking. I told him that, that Jesus had suffered and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they took him, they put him on a cross. And he died. He said, this man, he, he slumped into a chair and he started to weep uncontrollably. He says, how dare you tell me about such a saviour and then tell me that he is dead? How, how dare you? Richard Rembrandt, as he writes about this, he says, it was like looking at, at Mary Magdalene at the cross. Or as she discovers the empty tomb and doesn't know where, where Jesus is. This man was unconsolable. He, says, he, he writes, he says, I, I've never experienced such emotion in my heart. So I, I felt rebuked as a, as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, that I, I look on and see a man so emotionally responsive to, to the gospel, and I've never felt that myself. And so I, I quickly stopped him and said, look, let me tell you more. It doesn't end there. Let me tell you more. And he, he told about the resurrection. He shared how Jesus had risen from the dead. And this, this, this Russian um, um, captain got up off his seat and came jumping around the room. He said, he's alive. You tell me he's alive. He's alive. And he jumped around shouting that Jesus is alive, overwhelmed with happiness. When he'd calmed down, Wormbrand says, I, I said, do you want to pray? And the man says, yeah, let's pray. This man who didn't know any, any holy phrases or, or jargon, his, his prayer was simply this. Oh God, what a fine chap you are. If I were you and you were me, I would never have forgiven your sins. But you really are a very nice chap. I love you with all my heart. Wormbrandt writes this, I think all the angels in heaven stopped what they were doing to listen to the sublime prayer of this Russian officer. This Russian officer, he prayed in simplicity, knowing that potentially he will lose everything when he trusts Christ as Savior and Lord of his life. 
You know, as we get a glimpse of Jesus riding that colt into Jerusalem, you just get a glimpse of his glory. My prayer for you is you, you do, that you would see the servant king. You know where he's heading, he's heading to the cross. He dies and he rises for you, that you would be saved and then you would savor him as king of your life, serving him, worshiping him for all of eternity. My, my prayers, I, I said at the start that as all the people in Jerusalem were talking about Jesus that day, my prayers over this Easter period, over this Easter week, that you'd be talking about Jesus privately to him, to yourself, about him, as you read, publicly as you gather together in church to, to worship, and then publicly in the community as you meet others, that you would speak highly of him, no matter who you meet, that you would exalt him and you would declare that he is saviour, he is king, that he would be glorified and magnified in your life. See, savour, and serve Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would indeed do a work of grace in our hearts and lives. You would stir us we would worship you in spirit and in truth, respectfully, and yet with an affection for you, that others will see that you are all that they need and all that we desire. We pray in Jesus' name.